The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corellis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 18 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Privyet to all of you. Welcome back to another episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. Wow, it's towards the end of August. I'm just so impressed that the summer has flown by. Um, it's weird because so much has happened in 2020, but at the same time, like it's been going real, real fast. <laughs> um, I've Throughout the quarantine period, uh, my husband and I found the Goldbergs TV show, and we, uh, we've been enjoying it. It's like 23 episodes a season. We're on the seventh season, which is the most recent season that just passed. And uh, one thing that they said in the episode last night that I, I really liked was um, they were talking about like the passing of time, and they said that the days are long, but the years are fast. Um, so... Uh, I, I thought that that was very relevant, especially for the way that I've been feeling lately. Cause I, I can't believe that this entire summer has passed. Like if I was able to keep my summer schedule, I would, uh, be finishing my travels from the entire summer and coming home to start the new school year. So yeah, it's crazy how much has happened and, uh, where we are, but things are getting better. And I'm feeling more positive and creative, and um, I, I guess maybe we're just getting more used to like the way things are. So, um, yeah, that's that. Um, an update just on things that have been going on with me. Um, we have completed Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, my my organization. We have completed our second weekend of pop up performances throughout New York. Love Letter, our homage to. New York City and all the things that we love about it. Uh, we had our first week of performances in Central Park, which were very well received. And then last week we performed in Gantry, uh, Plaza State Park in Long Island City, Queens. Um, and it was there were even more people. It's funny, I thought there'd be more people in Central Park, but there are actually more people uh, in Queens. Um, but yeah, just so well received. It's so exciting to see how people are hungry for entertainment and art right now so we've gotten some wonderful feedback and um it's been interesting performing out in public busking is what it's technically called um you never know what's going to happen like people could walk through your performance people can start screaming <laughs> during the performance but um in long island city in our so we, we it's a 15 minute performance we do it three times and then there's a movement class at the end um the during the second performance i don't know what they were thinking there were two state troopers driving onto the plaza that we were performing on um, and in, they wanted to park near where we were performing, but instead of like waiting till we were done, um, they turned their car and made it look like they were driving at us. Um, so my dancers, we, we got, we got through like all, but like 
two minutes of the performance. So we got through most of it, but they handled it very, very well. We actually have worked on how to handle situations uh, in rehearsals. So I was very proud of them, but you can actually watch the video on my Instagram at, at B Corollis, and you can see that very clearly it looks like the state troopers are coming at the dancers. Um, so yeah, it's just been very, very interesting. Um, we have two more weeks of performances coming up. So if you are in the New York area and you want to see a socially distant pop-up performance, we will be performing at Brooklyn Bridge Park on Friday the 21st. Sorry, that's Saturday the 22nd. I don't know why I said that. Um, now, that's Brooklyn Bridge Park right on the water uh, in like the Dumbo, Brooklyn Heights area. Um, and then the next week, I believe that is the 29th of August on Saturday, we will be holding our final performances of Love Letter in Washington Square Park down in, near the NYU campus. So um, it's been really fun. If you don't get a chance to, uh, if you're not in the city or if you don't get a chance to see it and you are in the city, uh, be sure to head to our Instagram um, and you'll be able to see, we'll list when we're going to live uh, stream the performance. I always live stream one of the performances each weekend so you can watch it from afar. Um, so yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at movement underscore headquarters, or you can also go onto our website for details, www.movementhqballet.org. What else is new? Oh, I am going to be running a transitioning from basic to beginner ballet virtual workshop uh, starting Friday, August 28th. It'll happen every Friday. August 28th through October 2nd from 6.45 p.m. till 8 p.m. The classes will take place via Zoom. There is limited. There are limited spots available. We currently have about seven or eight uh, dancers registered. This is meant to help dancers that have an introductory level of technique uh, transition into the next level of uh, their, their technique. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I'm also, if you, if you hear this before, I, I do the lotto on Monday. Um, I am donating two spots to this workshop uh, to people that have lost their jobs. So if you uh, are interested in entering that lotto, please send me a DM on my personal Instagram at bcorollis and I will put you in that lotto and I can hopefully gift two spots to dancers who are, who want to, take this workshop but don't have the means because of the current state of the world. Um, just a reminder, this workshop is generally for dancers 18 and up, but if you are 16 years and up, you can reach out to me and we'll go through an approval process to see if you would be a good fit for this workshop. It's $110 for the six-week workshop. It's every Friday, 6.45 to 8 p.m. If you want to join me, you know how to get in contact with me. Also, I am teaching a Tuesday class for basic ballet at Broadway Dance Center's online program, and that will be... I, I have it next Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. I'm pretty sure they'll extend it past that, but I'll announce it after that. Also, this coming Sunday, that is the 20. There's so much going on. Who could think that I could be home? And there, most of the time, and there's still a lot going on. On Sunday, that is the 23rd of August, I am going to be teaching a workshop as a part of the Broadway Dance Center Dance Teachers Workshop. Um, it takes place Saturday and Sunday, um, and I'll be teaching the how to build a strong foundation in all pirouettes so on day or on day dawn from fifth from fourth attitude arabesque fuete pique step over all that kind of stuff so um, if you're a teacher and that interests you you can go to broadwaydancecenter.com and you can register for that there cool do i have any other announcements 
I don't think that I do. Yeah, the school year is starting and private lessons and choreography are picking up in uh, a virtual way. So, uh, yeah, things have just been really busy. And then also we're going to be, I'll be talking about something new with Movement Headquarters coming up uh, for the holiday season. Cool. That's the rundown. All right, let's get to today's topic. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to do list posts. Uh, it started when I was blogging. When I was a blogger, every once in a while, I would do list a list post. And um, they're easy to put together, but they're like really easy to understand and to digest as an audience. Um, so it's like a win-win. It's not as much work for me um, to put together the content, but at the same time, it's actually really valuable content uh, that I find people enjoy. Um, actually, uh, my most popular podcast that I ever, ever did, and still to this day continues to be the number one uh, listen to podcast episode is the 10 ways or 10 things that reveal a dancer's level um, of technique to me in class. Uh, you can listen back to that episode if you go back into the history. It's it's back like around episode 70, I believe. Um, but actually, I can look right now. I'm on my computer. It is episode, where are my most popular ones? Where are we? No. Don't you love listening to me like scroll through my podcast? It makes no sense. Anyway, if I find it, I'll, I'll get back to it. Um, there it is. Episode 74, August 25th, 2017. 10 signs that reveal a dancer's skill level in class. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> back to today's topic. So I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, list, a list episode. 10 things I wish that my students knew before entering my classroom. Um, and I have to give some props to my student, Angela, in South Korea. She uh, started taking with me at Broadway Dance Center and then recently moved to South Korea. And she moved to Seoul so that she could attend university there and we've still been working virtually together so she uh, is very engaged in, in my classes and my company and uh, she sent me a, a list of a few ideas she had for podcast episodes so thank you Angela for this great topic um, and let's let's get going so these are 10 things that I wish my students knew before entering my classroom. Some of them are like specific to my classroom and some of them are just like general to like what I would hope that you would do for most classrooms um, but yeah, Teaching open class, I, I teach in many different ways. Master classes, I, on the comp, certain competition circuits like Youth America Grand Prix and Dance Teachers United. Um, and then uh, I have tuition-based programs where I have the same students every week. Um, and then I have open class students where anybody can pay for one class to just drop in. Um, so this is, I guess this is, in, this is generally, um, but some of it is specific to open class, just so that you're aware of that. But so yeah, the first thing, um, that I wish students knew beforehand is that you you need to do research on me. <laughs> and I'm not saying that just for me, but you need to do research on all of your teachers. Um, not all teachers are created equal. I hate saying that, but it's the the to become a dance teacher is not there's not an accreditation. Is that the right word? Accrediting? There's not an accrediting pathway that you are required to take. It's not like uh, in the academic world in the United States where you're required to get a bachelor's degree um, to be a teacher, maybe even get a certification. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not an academic teacher, so I don't know this. So um, there's no way to like truly educate and qualify somebody 
to teach dance. Um, there are programs that do like certificates in the United States, but none of them are like, there's no system that says this is the program that's going to make you a good teacher. Um, there are BFA programs in colleges that, uh, teach pedagogy, um, but uh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, and then there are more, there are programs internationally that I would say are like legitimately qualified um, programs to teach teachers to teach. Teach teachers to teach. Uh, that's fun to say. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, not all teachers are created equal because like I, like I was saying, there is no accrediting program. Um, so what I will always recommend to people is look for professional credits. Um, if you are going to take, uh, if, if you want to take from a musical theater teacher, you should see if they have been in uh, summer stage uh, productions, touring productions, Broadway productions, if it's a more local program, um, dinner theater, and like what, what different types of credits do they have in performance? If it's a ballet company, um, you're more likely going to want to find a teacher who has credits dancing for a professional ballet company than maybe dancing in a Broadway production. Um, if it's a contemporary commercial type situation you might want to work from teacher work with teachers who have uh, credits working with touring artists or that have commercial and television credits um and the reason I say that it's not to diminish any anybody. It's just how is somebody supposed to understand how to teach the performing arts if they don't have significant experience in the performing arts. Um, now, every once in a while, you do get a, a fantastic teacher that just has this natural ability to convey technique and performance and other information to students, like Marcia Dale Weary from Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet um, passed away recently, but she did not have a professional career in ballet, but she turned out some of the best dancers in the country. Um, so it, it's not to say that you can't have these, uh, these credits and be a good teacher. Um, but usually you have to have experience performing to teach the performing arts. Um, and that, that also ties back into that conversation about BFA programs. Um, I think BFA programs can be wonderfully complimentary if you are in a performance career to teach dance. Um, but I, I think that if you want to teach professional track dance, that, um, that doesn't completely qualify you. Um, cause just teaching technique is, is different than teaching performance. Like technique is a pathway to perform. It is not the performance. So it's, it's like, if, if you are going to get a BFA in, in pedagogy, um, and if I'm incorrect, uh, please feel free to correct me. Um, it might be a BA as well, but uh, most of the programs I've seen are BFAs. A lot of times what ends up happening, um, I do know that a lot of people go to go through these BFA programs, um, so that they can, uh, teach in an educational setting. Like if there's a middle school, like arts magnet school, um, what I do find is a lot of these magnet schools, they are not set up to, uh, truly qualify a dancer um 
to build a professional career, what ends up happening is a lot of them go to the magnet school for their academics and then they get to enhance it with some of their, their dance classes and then they go to another dance studio after school um, to truly like round out their training. It's more, it's like very, very supplemental. Um, so I do know that that happens a lot. Um, so of course, like I, I don't want to de- deter anybody from going down that pathway. But like I was saying, I, I really truly do believe and I, I'd be willing to sit on a panel and stand up to the point that I, I do think that you have to have performance. You should have performance credits to uh, be considered. Uh, I'm saying this incorrectly. I would be willing to say that I think that performing credits are more important than educational credits. That's what I'm trying to say. So um I'm always baffled when a student takes my class, especially an open class where there are literally in New York City, like hundreds of options of teachers to take from. And they have no idea of my credentials. Usually I'll be like, uh, well, why are you taking my class if you know nothing about me? And they're like, well, just fit in my schedule. I mean, I guess I can appreciate that. But um, would you do that with a doctor or a lawyer? Like, would you go to a doctor without knowing if they actually got a degree? Or would you hire a lawyer? No, the thing is, they cost a lot of money. So you probably care a little bit more where like taking an open class from me at Broadway Dance Center is gonna be $22. So you're like, if it sucks, (laughs) I only spent $22. But also like, what if I hurt you? (laughs) Or what if like, I I give you uh, bad advice, and then you think that that's the guide for the rest of your career, because you took a class in New York City, and I told you something that's incorrect. So yeah, you really need to do your research on your teachers. Um, so if you want to take my class, you should look at my resume and my credentials and you should determine whether you think I'm qualified and whether you think I'm a good fit. And it's okay if you're kind of on the fence to come and take my class, but really every teacher you take from, you should be able to list at least one or two of their credits. Um, otherwise, like just taking class blindly, good luck to you. Um, cool. That's number one. Number two, uh, you don't have to follow me around all of class with your eyes to see if I'm paying attention to you. And this is actually one that Angela, um, so she, she didn't list like what I should say, but she was like, she gave an example of, uh, things that I wish that my students knew, um, because this is something she used to do, but, uh, this is a lot of people do this. You don't have to follow me around all of class with your eyes to see if I'm paying attention to you. I promise you I'm looking, um, and I'm looking at one student, two students, five students, 10 students, 20 students, sometimes 40 or 50 students. Um, and I'm not just looking at you. I'm checking on the music to make sure the music is the right tempo. Uh, I'm checking on the time to make sure that I, my class is running at the like correct intervals. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking at students and thinking of corrections, and then I'm thinking of the best way to convey that correction to them. Um, I'm thinking about what is the next combination in class. And the thing is also as a teacher, you, uh, you may have like a pre like a a prepared idea of what you're going to teach in class but especially in open class you show up you have no idea who's going to show up and you have to alter things as you go sometimes very rarely does the class show up at exactly what you prepared um sometimes there are students that are that put themselves on a level that don't belong there uh, so they're at a lower level and you have to actually like simplify combinations other times uh you have s- 
six or seven Broadway professionals show up and you have to uh, up the game of the, the class. So doing that, I'm taking care of issues that may arise and a lot more. So um, yeah, you don't have to follow me around. And I, I think that the the challenge here especially is if, if you think of walking down the street, you look forward to uh, you, to maintain your balance. Um, I noticed, especially in New York with tourists, like going through different areas, like if with all the tall buildings, if they'll look up and then they'll like look to the side and then all of a sudden their pathway, like their walking path skews diagonally to whatever direction they're looking. Um, your eyes are your main reference point for your balance. So if you're trying to balance, shouldn't you be looking forward anyway? Um, so beyond the fact that it's kind of uncomfortable and awkward when a student is staring at me all of class, um, it's also going to be a major disruption to your balance. Um, so yeah, you don't have to follow me around all of class. Of course, you can you can look at me when I'm like giving combinations and um, you can check in with me throughout class, but to just stare and, and follow me around, it's kind of creepy. Um, <laughs> cool. Number three, your body language speaks a lot more than you probably think, and it can completely set the tone for uh, a class uh, from the teacher's perspective. Um, I will be completely honest with you. I have had many an internal emotional meltdown because students appear uninterested in class or annoyed or disengaged or like they don't want to be there. Um, as a professional and somebody with a few years of experience as a teacher, I can hide that I'm having this like emotional meltdown um, and work through it. But I have had 90 minute classes that have felt like five hours. And it's often because I'm just reading body language. And the, the interesting thing um, is that most of the times uh, the the body language for dancers is more that they don't feel comfortable enough yet with me to open up um, and relax and enjoy the class. They feel like I'm there to like tear them down or uh, like I, I am a, I, I do consider myself to hold a strict classroom. Um, but I, I still want people to be able to like fail, succeed, uh, try things, enjoy themselves. Um, so usually it takes a few classes for people to start to calm down. Um, but if I get a class where there's like a handful of very like, uh, uptight dancers that their body language speaks incorrectly to me, um, it can make it very difficult for me to teach and it's very draining. Um, then of course they're always the students who don't necessarily have the proper etiquette training, um, or those that are just not in it. Um, and I, those are the, the most difficult classes that I have, um, I have taught. Uh, a big thing that I was taught as a, a student was to not put your hands on your hips because that uh, can sometimes seem as like uh, defensive type of thing. Um, also like crossing your arms and somebody's talking to you. Um, I don't want to tell you that you can't do those things because we naturally do that, but, um, just try to check in everyone's while look in the mirror, look what your body language looks like and just make sure that you are conveying what you mean to. Um, even if that means that you are being, uh, abrasive and stressful, 
<laughs> um, but at least own it so that it's clear that you're you're not okay. There was one class. This <laughs> I'll give an example. I was taking a yoga class in Philadelphia right after I'd moved to the city. Uh, my husband and I were trying to find like our yoga place, um, and we did a Groupon, and we didn't realize that this place had like sold hundreds of Groupons, and they packed their class so tight that you couldn't move and. I went to go do uh, like a plank and they asked us to lift one of our legs up behind us and I kicked the person in the face behind me and I stood up and I was mad and I crossed my arms and I stared, I stood up and stared at the teacher um, while everybody else was in a plank and <laughs> the teacher was like, I know that it's very tight in here, guys, but try to use your yogi mind to calm yourselves down and to l figure out how to work with, how to move around with so many people. And I called bullshit on that because that's called poor business practices. So yeah, I mean, there are times when it is, I think, appropriate to create not... I mean, I was being clear with what I wanted to say. I knew what I was saying. Um, obviously, that was an extreme situation, but um, we never went back to that studio. Um, but yeah, just be, be clear with you what you're doing with your body language. I bet you didn't expect it to go down that route. Um, please don't do that in my class unless I am, I've created a horrible atmosphere. Um, I try not to. Okay, was that number three? Okay, number four. Um, most teachers want all of their students to, su to succeed. I don't understand. Um, I've, when I've taught more at tuition-based programs, um, I have had parents come to me and think that I um, don't want their kid to succeed. It doesn't happen that often, but um, sometimes when like it comes down to like, why isn't my kid in the front line of a dance? And I'm like, they are in the front line of the dance. They're like, but they're not in the front line of the dance the whole time. And I'm like, well, because I'm trying to get everybody to the front at some point. And they're like, but my daughter has worked so hard this year. Why are you doing this to her? Do you not like her? Do you, are you trying to punish her? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to be fair because this isn't like, an audition to get into a company and I think everybody's worked hard for me this year mostly um and that everybody deserves a chance to be seen um so yeah I I don't understand when parents come to me um and they think that I don't want their students to succeed uh or sorry their kids to succeed and also I, I don't really get this too much in open classes but every once in a while like somebody will will be like I don't feel like you paid attention to me um yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to get around to that. But uh, like I do try my best to, to teach every single student and to touch every single student class when it's not COVID um, for corrections. But um, here's the question that I pose to anybody that wonders why a teacher wouldn't want them to succeed. Of course, there is always going to be the exception to, to the rule. But why be so focused on having one successful student or two successful students when you could have 20 successful students? Like as a teacher, your success is is no longer your success. Your success is only uh, a what's the word I'm looking for? It is only a product of the success of others. So if I have one su student succeed, then that is 
only one success, no matter how big or small the success is. If I have 20 students succeed in a variety of ways, then my success is exponentially greater. So for anybody that enters my classroom and thinks that I don't want them to succeed, like if I'm being particularly hard on you in that class, um, it's not because I don't want you to succeed and I want to tear you down. It's because I... Maybe I see potential in you, or maybe I, I think that you don't quite understand the way that a class functions, and I'm trying to convey that to you. Um, so get get it out of your mind if you come into my class and you think that I don't want you to succeed. I am going to get into another conversation about this very soon in this podcast. Um, my personality doesn't always... Uh, compliment people in a way that makes them feel uh, that I see good in them. Um, and it, it's obviously something that I, that I work on, but it's also part of my personality. I'm going to get to that in a second. But um, So don't read me wrong and think that I don't want you to succeed. Um, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. I don't want to get too carried away. Um, that was number four. Number five. Sometimes teachers say things in a way that they don't mean to. Um, we are thinking on our feet <laughs> at all times. Um, and at times, that means that the wrong thing will come out. Um, whether it's a specific phrasing or a specific word, whether it's the tone of speaking, um, it could potentially be a wrong name, an incorrect gender identification, uh, or even an incorrect correction. Uh, you hear me talk on these podcasts, uh, and sometimes I like realize I'm not saying exactly what I want to. And then I, I stop and I go back. I was actually doing a, an interview uh, with Apollo Performance where those are those amazing socks, dance socks. Um, they, uh, we were doing Instagram Live and I had this great point and I was talking and I was like, hey, there are two, two things here. And I was like, number one, this is blah, 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 blah. And then I, I was, as I was finishing up the first statement, I was like, oh God, I can't remember what the second one is. And then I was like, and number two, like I really delayed it and I stopped for a second. I went, ah, uh, I have no idea what number two is. Um, and then we started talking and then I forgot again. And then it, it was funny, but I ended up getting the point out. But um, yeah, it happens. Uh, we, we, May something may come about come out of our mouth that we don't mean. I know that that's not like it's not always okay when that happens, but we are thinking on our feet, and sometimes there's so much happening, like I told you before, that we have to take into mind when we're teaching that we say something and we don't even realize that we've said it, um, and it's not pointed out to us, so we can't address it in the moment. Um, at other times, we say something and then we are try we try to find a way to backtrack. Um, so just please be kind to me when I'm teaching if I say something that is wrong, I forget something, I say something that uh, is, it comes out in a way that maybe doesn't seem as caring and thoughtful as I mean it to be. Um, that is not my intention. And that is something that I think that most of us teachers work on every day to make sure that we, because we are out here to guide. Um, so it's important that we are accountable to what we say. Um, so a, a major part of the practice of being a teacher is making sure that you're able to convey what you want to say in the most uh, meaningful, understandable, and uh, humane way.
So yeah. All right, what number are we on? I keep on losing count. One, two, three, four, five, six. When I give you a correction, you performing the correction is enough for me. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have students that I correct and they nod their head or they turn their head to me for approval and it just messes them up. So it's like, I'll say the correction, they'll make the correction and then they'll nod their head and then I'll be like, well, now you've destroyed all of that. Um, and I get that. Like, I think that the reason that a lot of people do it is because they feel like I can't see how hard they're trying. Um, if I give you a correction and you make any movement in the direction that I'm telling you, whether it's right or wrong, I can tell that you're trying. So you don't have to acknowledge me every time I correct you. Yes, you can here and there. Um, but I'm watching and I should be able to see the difference if you are working really hard um, to make that correction. And if not, then I will probably try to tell you in a different way because my assumption isn't that you are going to that you're ignoring me or you don't want to do the correction. The assumption is that uh, I haven't yet conveyed the correct information or the, the right pathway to the correct information for you. Um, so uh, then it's my job to try to find a new way. It's, it's actually rare that I feel like a student doesn't want to take a correction. And usually if it is that case, it's not somebody who has just entered my class. It's usually somebody that I have a longer standing relationship with. Um, and I, I've gotten to know that person better and maybe there's some tension, um, in that relationship. So, um, yeah, you don't have to nod your head or look at me, uh, with, with your eyes, um, to acknowledge a correction. It also goes along with what I said earlier that your, uh, your eyes really are your main center focus point for balance. So it's really important that you keep your head aligned and your eyes aligned when you're dancing. Um, okay. Number seven, I remembered where we were this time. Um, did I say that one already? I only want you to succeed. My only goal is to make you a better dancer. I think I said that. Oh, I have to make up one on the spot, people. I'll get to that later. Okay, number seven. Uh, I may forget your name. I'm sorry. Seriously, I may forget your name. I have forgotten names of students that I know extremely well. I was doing my... Uh, uh, online virtual class for Broadway Dance Center last Tuesday and my company dancer, uh, Kennedy Rose, who uh, I started teaching in Philadelphia at the age of 17. And now she's, uh, I've been working with her for a handful of years. Um, she's now one of my company dancers and she was assisting. And I was like, and this is my, my assistant. She is a company artist with Movement Headquarters. And I was like, uh, oh yeah, it's Kennedy Rose. Um, but, so that goes to show you like I'm just awful every day of my life at remembering names um usually I, I need to know a first name and a last name to remember your name but even if I have that I may not remember it um but add to the fact that in any given week like non-covid times I may have 50 plus open class students uh, plus tuition program classes, private lessons, rehearsals, my company meetings with donors, collaboration meetings, social events, um, and all of that. And open class, especially like you don't 
you have like a core set of regulars, um, but you have different students in every single class. So I often get overwhelmed and forget names and stress out about it, especially if I run into you on the street and I don't have like the situation. Like if we're at Broadway Dance Center and I, I see you, I know you. Um, but then if we're on, out on the street and your hair is down and or you're dressed not in dance clothes and I'm like, oh, my God, I know your face. Um, but I have no idea what your name is, even though you've taken my class 30 times. Um, and especially I'm afraid as we get back from COVID when I haven't really seen people for like months and months. Um, I, I'm sorry. It's no offense. Even if we've had strong moments together, um, I'm really bad with names. And I know a lot of teachers have the same issue as I do. Uh, but I, like I said, I do remember faces. I remember technique. I remember bodies. I remember credentials really well. I don't know why those things I latch on to more. One conversation my husband and I have been having is I'm not really good at listening. Um, it's not that I can't it's not that I don't listen. It's that when I listen, the information doesn't stick. But when I see um, things or if there's like an, a unique aspect of something, um, I am more likely to remember things. That's like with the credential things. Like if I can be like, hey, you were in that show, you were in that show. Um, it differentiates um, or like remembering like oh that's the person with like it's like with my hair like with the blue hair dye those things i remember but um i i i just i I struggle with names so please 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 uh don't take offense if i can't remember your name even if i've even if i've known you for for quite a while um and just one more time did i already say i'm sorry <laughs> so I'm sorry in advance. Um, okay, so that's number seven. Number eight, I, no, I still have to do another one. So I have 10, I have to round this out. I want to give everybody personal attention. Um, and if you have a question after class, I want to address it. Um, I try to put 10 minutes in my schedule after every class that I teach for some chat time to address any questions that arose from class, to uh, offer advice uh, to students that are maybe thinking about having a career in dance or that are traversing a career in dance. Um, I, I really try to put that time aside. Often it ends up going well past 10 minutes and I end up running like a maniac to my next thing. Um, I'm a busy guy. Uh, and it's important for me to note though, that I, I can't hang out after every class for an extended period of time. Um, so like I said, I don't want people to feel like I'm unapproachable, but at the same time, if I start walking down the hall and I don't invite you to walk with me, I'm trying to gracefully exit. Um, if you notice that I'm walking away, I would recommend that you take the hint. Um, the great thing is in this day and age where we are all connected at all times, you can always DM me on my Instagram account if you have any questions. And I teach regularly, so you can always wait until the next class to to reach out to me. Um, cool. Uh, number nine, off the cuff, Barry. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, okay, here it is. The way that you show up like how you look when you enter my class is already going to give me a feeling of how you are going to be in the class. Um, I hate saying that image doesn't matter. Sorry, that saying that image does matter, but it, it, it does. I wish I could say that it doesn't. But um, 
if you show up to class looking disheveled um, or if you show up to a ballet class with your hair down or if you show up to a ballet class with like crazy layers on, um, I may make a judgment about you, especially in the lower levels. In the higher levels, if somebody comes and like they're clearly a professional and they're wearing like torn up warm ups, it's kind of like a style. Um, I'm usually like, okay, I, they're just warming up for their day. Um, but in the lower levels, if somebody comes in, uh, the worst. I'm sorry if you've done this. I'm not trying to offend you, but this is the worst. If you show up to my ballet class in ballet slippers with point shoe ribbons tied up to your knees, I'm going to automatically assume that this that you're going to probably be a challenge in the class. Um, there are some schools that wear point shoe ribbons on ballet slippers, um, but they are taught how to properly tie their point shoe ribbons. Um the ribbons to mimic exactly how a point shoe would be worn um there's a certain way and if i look down and you even just have not your ankles but they're like sagging and they're tied like in like a in a knot like you would do your street sneakers i'm gonna probably go oh god like i am in for it because usually that tells me also that the dancer doesn't understand the, te- the etiquette of the class um if you show up in a tube top um, to take a ballet class, all I'm going to imagine is like, what's, what's the conversation going to be when we start jumping up and down and your boobs fall out of your top? Um, if you wear a leotard with the, the hips pulled up to your rib bones and you're not wearing tights underneath it, um, I'm going to wonder if you have any sense of reality. Yes, that, that was a Fosse style. Um, but in ballet class, it's like the Russian training. Um, they like to pull the, the leotards up really high on the sides, but they're wearing tights underneath. Um, if I, there's a hint of pubic hair pulling out of your, your leotards, um, your, your tights are too high <laughs> or you need to, to trim um, or just, yeah, they're... The way you present yourself says a lot. Um, if you don't know how to present yourself, I think that the smart thing to do would be to call wherever you're going and ask them, what would be the most appropriate thing for me to wear to class? Um, and then do your research online and make sure that you show up appropriate because it means that you did your homework. It's like showing up to a yoga class without realizing that you need to rent a, or to have a mat um, and if it's a hot yoga class, not realizing you have to have like water and a towel and a mat, um, and all of those things or like showing up to a yoga class with only a suit. Like you need to know how to present yourself, even if you don't know how to present yourself. And the only way you can do that is by asking questions before you arrive, not when you arrive. Number nine, that was off the cuff. Um, <laughs> I keep notes for all these. Everything's kind of off the cuff, but I, like I have like my main points that I want to make. Okay, number 10. This is going to go back a little bit to the one that I was saying earlier that I would get back to. Um, I, I, would, I wish that all of my students knew that every teacher has their own personality, just like every student and every human being on earth. We all come from a family with different ways of life. We all have positive and negative qualities. Um, we all, or most of us have good intentions. We all learn how to dance differently. Um, just like this, we also have different ways of going about taking class and teaching class. If something happens that 
a teacher says personally or how they act that makes you upset before going to a place of worst intentions. I, I ask you first to try to understand why something happened. Instead of just reacting, take a moment, pause, try to understand like the situation. What was the situation first and what was the environment? Then from there, what did the teacher say? And then how did I re react to it? Was the teacher reacting to the student or was the student reacting to the teacher? Um, it, was it a moment that had time to be thought out or was it a very quick moment in a response? Like I said, in classes, things move fast and things are changing. And sometimes things are just said that are, are you're trying to convey something quickly so you can move on and it may come off very like harsh and without any... Uh, care, but really you're just, the teacher's trying to keep the class going. Um, another example would be, uh, I'm not very good at complimenting, as I had mentioned, um, at all, ever. And this isn't me as a teacher, this is me as a person. I get really uncomfortable when I give compliments. Um, I was having a private lesson with Angela. This is a good example. And she uh, recorded the, the Zoom lesson um, and she created a, a, a short little video for me, which I thought was, it was a very cute video. And it was like corrections and things like that, that I'd given. And one of the, one of them, I, I gave her a compliment, um, not even realizing that I was giving her a compliment, but like looking back at it, you can see in her body language, like how much she appreciated the compliment. Um, but getting to watch myself even attempting to compliment somebody showed me how bad I am at giving compliments. Um, I, I said something along the lines of like, you're, have you been taking class a lot more lately? Because she had been adjusting to college and she was like, yeah. And I was like, I can tell because the, the reach in your legs is very different than the last few lessons that we've had. Now you should now go to the other side. <laughs> like it was pretty much like not even a, a period between it. Um, it was like, I just automatically went back into teacher mode. Um, so yeah, I'm aware of it and I try my best to like convey it. But at the same time, like a compliment is, it needs to be earned and I will give a compliment when it is like seriously due. But I very much, try, I get, it's, I, I get uncomfortable with the reaction of others. And I think it's kind of a cycle that's been created. If I, because I don't compliment very often, when I do compliment people, this is not just dancers, this is people in like my real life, like my regular life, um, when I do give a compliment, people make a big deal about it and it makes me really uncomfortable and I don't, I can't handle the, uh, I can't handle the attention to it and I shrivel and die. Like it just makes me so uncomfortable so that I give fewer compliments because it makes me uncomfortable. It's like a, a weird cycle of discomfort for me where like when I really try to do it, as soon as I say the compliment, I want to move on as fast as possible because I just... I can't handle like the gushiness. I'm not like a mushy, gushy person. And it's my personality. It's me. It's unique to me. It's a part of what makes me the person I am and the teacher I am. Um, and I will always work on it, but I think it's always going to be with me. Um, but the best way that I can explain it is, uh, 
it's kind of like that book, The Five Love Languages, which I haven't read in, in full. Like I'm still in the process of reading it. Um, but every teacher conveys their care in a different way. It's, some are very verbal. Some are very uh, touchy-feely, like hugs. Um, for me, my love language, my care language as a teacher is uh, action. Um, it's the same with me with all the people in my life that I love dearly. I barely ever say the words, I love you. Um, but I act with love and intention of love through so many things and in so many ways. And I've noticed that as a teacher, my way of showing that I care about you as a teacher is by going out of my way to try to, like I said, touch every student in class so that they feel like they got something on the class to spend to, to act by spending extra time after class to chat with students, to make myself available in multiple media formats. And uh, that way that you feel like you can actually reach out to me and uh, I can I can help you. I, I don't always get to everybody, but I try my best to. Um, so yeah, every teacher has their own personality. Um, and if you don't initially click with a teacher's personality, um, don't just uh, don't just assume bad intentions. Maybe come back a few times and be willing to push through that discomfort a little bit to see like, okay, first off, like do our personalities click? That's important. But B, what is their intention behind the way that they act when they teach? And is it because they care and they just have a different personality than I'm used to? Um, or is it truly that we don't click? And it's okay if you don't click. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I find that people tend to make assessments and judgments of teachers based off of one class with them. Um, I have always, always, anytime that I've taught a tuition-based program, the first month the students hate me. Um, and it's because I'm not like a warm and sunny presence. Um, and it's because I have high expectations. And I'm going to hold you to them. And I like to have a like well oiled classroom that like functions and, and like works well. Um, but after a month, they see that like, A, they're getting better. Um, B, that I don't hate them. Um, C, that I will work my ass off to help them. Um, and usually it's, I, I, it, when I first started teaching, um, it was actually Alaska dance theater. The first month was rough. Um, there are parent complaints left and right. But then by the time that I left, like there was a petition signed by something like 40 students trying to keep me there. That's a complicated story. Um, I wanted to stay, but the, the, there was one person on the board that was had been with the organization for years and years and years and years and years. And they had this, they, in Alaska, there was kind of this idea that like nobody would stay here because we're Alaska. So it's better to push somebody out that you think wouldn't stay here long-term and go with somebody local than it is to uh, try to like really push through to get this person to commit. So anyway, I wanted to stay, um, but not under the conditions that I was given. Um, and I went from having parent complaints and students like really upset with me the first month to at the end of the, the four months I was there, parents and students petitioning to keep me there. Um, and I have letters that like students wrote to the board to try to change 
the president's mind and I, I they gave them to me when I left and I there's something that I value so greatly. Um, so yeah, that's just like, it just goes to show that it takes time to get to know a teacher and their personality. And just because you don't initially click as you get to know them, you might, uh, you might realize that instead of being the worst teacher that they actually may be one of your favorite teachers. So, um, give them a chance, give me a chance. So yeah, um, there are my 10 things I wish my students knew before entering my classroom. Um, I want to say an extra special thank you to Angela for uh, giving this uh, recommendation for topics. If you uh, would, if any of you listening would ever be interested in sending me podcast ideas, um, please feel free to do so. I, I get recommendations. It's weird. I get them in like groups. I'll get like five in like a couple of weeks and I won't hear from anybody for a couple of months. So um, always love to get recommendations. I want to make sure that I'm making content that you want to hear and not just talking uh, because I like to talk about anything. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Angela. I hope that you guys enjoyed this list episode, this 10 topic, this 10 tenor um, episode. Um, and I guess we're going to call it, call that. Um, I know that everybody is heading back to school. I just want to say that I hope that you are safe and healthy and wear a mask and be respectful of others. And um, I hope that you've registered to vote because we have a very important election coming up. And while I will personally say that I hope that you vote for Biden and Harris um, to support the arts, to support LGBTQ plus people, to secure the BIPOC communities, to support minorities and immigrants and uh, trying to create a more equal way of life. Um, If you're on the other side of the fence, you should still be voting. So everybody, please make sure that you register to vote and do vote. It is so important that you you do if you can. Um, is there anything else I want to talk about? I think that's it. Thank you guys for listening. I will talk to you in two weeks in September, which is crazy to me. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pot of Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also check out my company, Movement Headquarters Ballet Company, at www.movementhqballet.org. You can also reach out on those pathways of communication if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, if you'd like to follow my company, you can follow on Instagram at movement underscore headquarters. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist touring the nation. And I also have Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. That's WordPress. And I wrote on there about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have YouTube channels. You can check out my choreography on B. Carolis, the channel B. Carolis. And you can also check in on my company on the channel for Movement Headquarters. 
Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene. We need you more than ever. Thank you.